Have you ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody? You know, the kind of conversation that it's probably not going to go over well, no matter how you say it, you're not sure that you're really going to be heard. And so out of love, you continue to press in. You go ahead and you have the difficult conversation, the hard conversation, because you know it's what they need to hear. But as you're about to have the conversation, you're thinking, okay, what do I need to do in order to best have the chance of being heard? How should I present this information that needs to be presented? Because you know there's a strong risk that this isn't going to go over well. You know, we've all been there at one time or another pressing into hard conversations because we love as the church. That's just what we do. We don't sit back and ignore. We, we press in when we need to. We're not the only ones as we've kind of made our way in this journey through the minor prophets. We see God calling prophet after prophet to have these hard conversations, to press in and to deliver information, well, that nations wouldn't want to hear. And that's the thing. God calls prophets to deliver these hard conversations to nations, not just to a person, but to nations. Because as interested as, as God is for each and every one of us as individuals, what he's really concerned about is creating a people for himself, a people that are united together by love for God and love for others. Unfortunately, as we go through the minor prophets and we even look at our own lives, our lives are not always characterized by love for God and love for others. And that's where things get tough. This morning, we're going to see why a hard conversation has to happen. And it's all about loving God and loving others. And so God calls Amos to have a really hard conversation with the Northern Kingdom Israel. Amos, he's a contemporary of Hosea, who we just looked at. He probably prophesied just a little bit before, got started a little before Hosea did. And he has a very difficult message to deliver to the people of Israel. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard for the people of Israel to hear for a variety of reasons. So let's go ahead and check out how Amos has this hard conversation and what that conversation has to say to us today as well. We'll go ahead and get started in Amos chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. Amos 1, 1 through 5, it reads, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I shall break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. So as we see Amos, he introduces himself as a shepherd from Tekoa. Now, the word he uses for shepherd, it lets us know that uh, he's not 
just a simple shepherd who has a couple of sheep, but that he's a herdsman. He's done quite well for himself. He's got quite the flock. I mean, it's blue collar work. It's not really that respected of work, especially among the religious crowd, but it's good work. And Amos, he's done well for himself. Later on in chapter seven, Amos, he's going to even refer back to this. And he's going to say, hey, I'm no prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. He's just a faithful guy taking care of his sheep. When God says, Amos, you're the one I want to use to go and to be my mouthpiece. You know, of all the prophets, Amos is among my favorites because he's just an ordinary, hardworking, blue-collar kind of a guy, most comfortable out on the land, tending to sheep, being with animals. But God knows the faithfulness of Amos. And he says, Amos, I want to use you to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be the one who speaks for me. It's interesting, God, he didn't grab the next Levite to speak for him. He didn't pick the person who we would pick. He picked Amos, a plain-spoken shepherd. Uh, That's how God often works, though, isn't it? I mean, you just think about it. You go through the history and you say, oh, the people, they choose Saul to be their king. Why? Because he looks the part. He seems the part. God comes and he picks the little runt David. Not even his family thinks David is fit to be the king. The people, they choose the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus comes along and he says, I'll use fishermen and tax collectors to be my disciples. See, this ought to give you confidence that God picks you too. He picks Amos, a plain-spoken shepherd, and he picks you. He looks at you, and the, the honor that he gave his son to be the light of the world, he now shares with you. Even when you wouldn't pick yourself, even when you look at yourself and you say, ah, I've got all these limitations, I've got all these shortcomings, I'm just not that gifted, I don't know that I could ever be used in that kind of way. God looks at you and he says, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to be the light of the world now, to go into the dark places of culture and to bring the hope that only Jesus can bring. God chooses to use you. In fact, it's the plain spoken way in which Amos will talk that makes his prophecy so memorable. It kind of makes him kind of stick out. It makes him endearing. Uh, But at the same time, he is just a shepherd. And shepherds aren't exactly the kind of people who you're going to for counsel, much less if they start talking about God. You're thinking, what does this shepherd know anything about God anyway? You're not a priest. We go to the priest to hear about God. What does a shepherd know about any of this kind of stuff anyway? You understand that Amos, just by his profession, he's going to have a hard time being heard. And this shepherd, well, he's from Tekoa. Now, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me and you, but it would have meant a whole lot to the people that Amos was talking to. Because Amos is called to speak to the northern kingdom Israel. Tekoa? Well, Tekoa is in the southern kingdom, Judah. So here's the southern kingdom, Judean, coming up to the northern kingdom, Israel, to tell them about everything they're doing wrong and how they're breaking the covenant that that God has established with them and the judgment that God's going to break. I mean, you can imagine they're not going to want to hear this, much less hear this from a southern kingdom, Judean. There's a lot of uh, stereotypes about Judah in those days that the northern kingdom had, and most of those stereotypes were pretty well deserved. Uh, The northern kingdom, they looked at the southern kingdom and they thought, you guys are just stuck up. You got your noses in the air. 
air, you're snooty, you think you're superior than us, you're better than us. You point to the fact that, oh, you've got Jerusalem in the southern kingdom, the temple's there, you have your Davidic line, the Levitical priesthood. You see, the southern kingdom would make the northern kingdom aware of all these things and make them feel like they're less than. And now here comes Amos, a southern kingdom shepherd. I mean, you can imagine what the people in Northern Kingdom would have been saying, can't you? I mean, who, who does this guy think he is anyway? I mean, a shepherd? He's not even a priest. He's coming up here to talk to us. I bet his own people, the other Judeans wouldn't even pay attention to, to him. And now he thinks he can come up here and lecture us. I mean, who does he think he is anyway to come up here and tell us everything we're doing wrong? You can imagine this is going to be a hard conversation. How in the world is Amos supposed to get the attention of these Northern Kingdom Israelites? Well, let's kind of look and see how he does it. He, he begins by saying that God is roaring like a lion from Jerusalem, that the pastures of the shepherds are mourning, that Mount Carmel is withering. You understand, Carmel, it's the wettest place in Israel. It's, there's always water there. You might remember the story of Elijah. There's always water there. And he's saying, it's withering. I mean, this is, you know this isn't good. God is roaring. Everything that you would expect to happen is not happening this is going to be bad and who's it going to be bad for well Amos begins by saying it's going to be bad for Damascus 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 is to the north of the northern kingdom Israel Damascus is the capital city of Syria and Amos begins and he says for three sins even for four now I'm not holding my judgment against you Damascus and he's going to use that refrain over and over and over again because the way Amos is going to get the attention of the northern kingdom he's going to go to all of her neighbors and he's going to say look at this nation they're guilty look at this nation they're guilty look at this nation they're guilty and he uses this phrase for three sins even for four and what he's saying is hey you've sinned innumerably you you've done so much but i've waited and i've waited and i've waited and i've been patient with you but now this sin this is like the straw that broke the camel's back this is just too much and so here's the punishment. Sometimes he'll even state another sin, but he always gives at least one and says, hey, here's this one thing that you've been guilty of and I cannot tolerate anymore. Here's the judgment that's coming. And so I want to I just kind of summarize these different nations and the judgments that Amos prophesies to the northern kingdom, Israel. First, he says to Damascus, I'm telling you, Damascus is guilty. Syria is guilty. And what they're guilty of is threshing the people of Gilead. This is an agricultural reference. He's talking about a tool that you would use to kind of separate the grain. He's saying what you, what you should use as an agricultural tool, you're using to thresh the people, to hurt the people. You're treating them like grain, like things. Whether this is metaphorical in the way they're treating people, or whether they're literally abusing people in this way. We don't really know, but what we do know is you're running over the top of people. You're treating them like things instead of like people. And because you aren't treating others properly, because you're simply running over the top of them. So I'm going to bring destruction to your land and the people of Syria will be cut off and exiled. This is the judgment that's going to happen. 
By the way, all of that did happen at the hands of the Assyrians in 732 BC. Amos then turns his attention to the south and he begins to talk about Gaza. Gaza was the capital city of Philistia. And he says, you've engaged in slave trading, Philistia. You're capturing people and you're selling them to Edom. And so God is going to bring judgment to Philistia. And the judgment is going to be fire and destruction. By the way, that also happened in 702 B.C., Amos then turns his attention back to the north to the city of Tyre. Tyre was the capital city of Phoenicia. And Amos says, you also are guilty of slave trading. You're capturing people and you too are selling them to Edom. The Edomites, they're buying a lot of slaves. Now we've already heard from Obadiah what God thinks about Edom and some other sin that Edom's guilty of. And we're going to hear more about Edom from Amos as well. But as for Phoenicia, as for uh, Tyre, Amos says that you're not only guilty of slave trading, you're also guilty of abandoning the covenant of the brotherhood. That is, you're making treaties with other nations, but you aren't honoring them. Your word is no good. And so because of this, because of your sin, this is the judgment for Phoenicia. It's fire. Fire is going to come, and that's going to be fulfilled in 586 B.C. So far, Amos, he's talked about the sins of Israel's neighbors to the north, to the south, and back to the north. He's listed the capital cities of Syria, of Philistia, and of Phoenicia. And he's talked about the judgment that God is going to bring against each of these nations. And so the question is now, how are all of these nations related to Israel? Well, the answer is they're not really, there's no really direct relation there. I mean, they're enemies at some times, they're neighbors, but there's no, no relation, at least in their lineage. Well, Amos, as he's picking out all these nations, he now begins to shrink the circle in a little bit because he's going to list three more nations three nations that are now more closely related. And before he just talked about the names of the capital cities, now he's going to talk about the nations as a whole. So at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, Amos, he turns his attention to the, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. These are all relatives of Israel. And when he talks about them, he mentions the nation because that's going to stick a little bit more in the mind of Israel rather than just their capital cities. So first is Edom. Uh, Amos, like Obadiah, he says, Edom, you are guilty of this unrelenting, burning, prideful contempt that you have against a brother. You remember the sordid history between Jacob and Esau, now Judah and Edom. And Edom is guilty of this pride against Judah. Now, as we've just talked about, Edom's guilty of way more than just that. But this is the sin that kind of broke the camel's back. This is what's getting highlighted here. Like all the other nations, they're all guilty of innumerable sins. But this is the one that does it. And God says, okay, because of this unrelenting anger, your punishment, your judgment, your consequence is going to be fire. By the way, that happened when the Nabataeans invaded Edom from within in about 300 B.C. Amos moves then to another related nation, Ammon. Uh, the Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot. You can go back and you can research just the twisted history and the beginnings of the Ammonites and how all that got started from Lot. Lot was a nephew of Abraham. And so these are almost like cousin nations here. They have a history. And the sin of the Ammonites is... 
Well, they are murdering pregnant women and their babies of surrounding areas so they can enlarge their own borders. If they can abort the next generation of these surrounding areas, well, then there's no one to protect them. There's nothing to stop them from taking over. The Ammonites, they were a ruthless, a brutal people taking advantage of the most helpless, the most vulnerable in society. Why? Because it was the easiest way to conquer the society. So Amos, he says, what is coming to Ammon is also fire. And that's just what happened in 582 BC. Amos then turns his attention to Moab. The Moabites, like the Ammonites, also descended from Lot. It's the same type of twisted beginning that you can read about. It's another cousin nation. And Ammon says that what the Moabites are guilty of is burning the bones of Edom's king. Now, As we've gone through this list of sin, we've seen slave trading, we've seen breaking covenants, we've seen murdering pregnant women and their baby, and we've seen a whole host of really evil things. And now we come to the Moabites, well, you're guilty of burning the bones of an evil king in Edom. And you look at that, you almost think, well, that doesn't seem so bad. I mean, why is the judgment on Moab going to be like all these other ones? That's not too bad. Well, you understand in those days, and even today, when you have no body, there is no closure. I mean, Edom can't mourn the loss of their king the way they would want to. They have no closure. And so because Moab does not treat others well, because they are desecrating the human body, there is this judgment that's going to come against Moab. It is the straw that broke the camel's back. Moab's guilty of more than this, but this is what's getting highlighted here. And the punishment for Moab, again, is fire. That judgment would be realized in 582 BC. With all of these nations, Amos is talking about the sinful ways in which they treated one another. Notice that Amos does not talk about the sinful ways they treated God. Why? Because God hasn't made a covenant with these nations. They're not responsible for that. But what God has put on the heart of every nation is how we're to treat one another. They're just basic right and wrongs that we're to live by. And all of these nations have violated all of that. And so God says you're responsible for how you are treating others. And here is the judgment that's coming. And after he's talking about all these other nations, and if you were just to look at a map of it all, it's almost like every other nation around the northern kingdom Israel has been mentioned except one. And that's where Amos goes to next, the southern kingdom, Judah. He shrinks the circle in just a little tighter and he focuses in on the brother. And he says, Judah, you've been led astray by false gods. See, all the other nations, it was how you treated others. Judah, well, Judah has this privileged relationship with God. There's a covenant that God has established with Judah. Judah's supposed to be the people of God, supposed to be a light to all the other nations. But what has Judah done? She's ignored the one true God. She's turned to all these false gods. She's run after these false gods. So what is Judah guilty of? It's how she's treating God. It's how she's failing to love God. And so because you are rejecting God, rejecting the law of God, rejecting the covenant that God has established with you, 
the judgment is again fire, and it was fulfilled in 586 B.C. Understand, as you go through and you look at all these different judgments that Amos prophesied about all these nations, you can go back and historically see where all of those prophecies were fulfilled. Everything that Amos said would happen, happened, and we can verify that historically. Now, if you're a northern kingdom Israelite, and Amos just comes to your town square and he gets up and he starts speaking. At first you're thinking, who does this Judean shepherd think he is anyway that he can just come in here and lecture us? But then as he begins speaking and he starts talking about all these other nations that surround them and even these nations that are related to them. And then he turns to Judah and this brother, this smug brother who looks up there, looks down their noses at you in the northern kingdom. All of a sudden you're starting to like this guy. You're saying, hey, I, I kind of like this uh, shepherd. He's, he's, he's a Judean that I can get on board with. And he's also just made seven points. Okay, now no preacher does more than seven points. I mean, seven, that's a good number. That's a complete number. That's, that's good. You can stop right there. You're thinking that he's wrapping up, that he's about done. As you're hearing this, I mean, if, if you had like Baptist Israelites in those days, they're like shouting amen. If you had the Pentecostal Israelites in, their, in those days, they're putting their hands in the air and they're saying hallelujah. If you have Bible church Israelites in those days, I mean, they're just taking notes as fast as they can. I mean, that's what's happening. They're all on. On board. They're all loving what they're hearing. You can imagine that they're cheering this guy on. But now Amos is going to turn his attention to Israel, to the northern kingdom. He starts again for three sins, even four. And when you hear that, you're almost thinking, I can look at a map. I mean, you've mentioned like all the other nations. Where is he going to next? Because he's kind of filled it out. There's no other nations around them. Well, that's because Amos isn't going to talk about another nation around them. His eighth point is going to focus right in on Israel, the northern kingdom. And he spent about a chapter and a half on these seven other nations from the end of chapter two all the way through the end of the book in chapter nine. It's all about the northern kingdom, Israel. So you see what Amos has done? You see how he's had this hard conversation? He's kind of won them over. He's kind of drawn them in to the point where they're, they're cheering and they're saying, yeah, I agree with this guy. This is great. Keep preaching. It's about time that all these other nations got the judgment that they deserve. And this is great. And then as they're in, as he's drawn them in, as he's won them over to his side, then he kind of brings the hammer and he's boom. And he delivered and he starts again for three sins, even for four, but he doesn't just list one of the sins of Israel, not even two. I mean, he goes on, he launches into a series of sin displaying how Israel, you haven't loved others well, and you haven't loved God. Well, everything that all those other nations were guilty of, oh, you're guilty of all of that and more. Let's just go ahead and just look at everything you're guilty of. So Amos, he's going to have this hard conversation showing the Israelites how they're guilty of not loving God and not loving others. You know, as Christians, that's the same standard that we're held to too, isn't it? The standard to love God and to love others. And here's the thing. If you love God and you love others well, then you're going to make disciples. 
That, that's, that's just what happens. Why? Because when you love God well, well, then you honor his commands. Then you do what you've been asked to do. And when you love others well, well, that you want to come alongside them and you want to impact them in such a way that they live and they love like Jesus, that they look like Jesus. So you're making disciples and then they in turn can also make disciples. When you love God and you love others, you make disciples. And so Amos to Israel, he says, you're not loving God and you're not loving others. Let's just go through and look at this. And he says, just in chapter two, you're, you're oppressing the poor. You're engaging in pagan religious practices. You're involved in all kinds of shameful immorality. You're abusing the systems that have been put in place. Amos says, God did so much for you. He provided blessing for you in the way that he kind of took care of your enemies and how he raised up prophets and religious leaders for you. But what did you do? You, you, you treated my prophets shamefully. You dishonored them. You showed no respect for my servants. I mean, Amos is relaying all of this from God to them. And then he says, so the judgment you will face is you're going to be crushed. You're going to be dis- defeated, destroyed. Before this, you know, most of the other nations, just fire. And fire's bad. I mean, nobody wants fire to come upon their nation, but you can rebuild from fire. Not, not this. God is talking through Amos here about this brutal uh, destruction just being crushed for the northern kingdom. Amos says that God's going to crush you the, the same way that a cart crushes when it is full of grain. And if you think that you can run so fast, you can run away from this coming destruction and you can somehow avoid it, God says, yeah, you'll be running all right. You'll be running naked. You'll have nothing. You'll just be running in, in fear and in shame. Chapter 2 ends, and then you would expect that chapter 3 would begin like all the other prophets with, okay, Amos has just said, here's what we're guilty of, and here's what God's going to do, and now you expect to read a message of hope, calling the people to repentance, and then how God will bring restoration if the people repent. I mean, that's what you expect to read next. But Amos, he's still got some heavy lifting to do. The people still aren't going to be inclined to hear him. Why? Because Israel was prosperous. You know, Israel, when things are going well and you look at yourself and you're saying, you know what? God's blessing me. I mean, look at all that we have. Look where everything's going on. God is blessing us. We can't be that bad, Amos. You got to be off your rocker here a little bit. You understand the times in Israel, Northern Kingdom, oh, they were good. They were real good, a matter of fact. I mean, people, they had beds that were made of ivory. Uh, they had summer homes and winter homes. Their enemies were all neutralized at this point. They really had no adversaries to speak of when Amos is delivering this message. Things looked really, really good in Israel. And when things look really, really good, well, you think you're blessed. And so to get their attention... Amos, he's just going to dive deep and tell them everything they're guilty of. And he's going to use just plain spoken language. He's going to use a variety of genres as he's speaking. He's going to do whatever it takes to try to get their attention and to try to wake them up. I want you to hear just some of the plain spoken language that he uses, some of the ways that he tries to communicate to Israel. In Amos chapter 3, verse 10, he says, 
They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. In Amos 3.15, he says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. The issue in chapter 3 boils down to this. Yes, you're blessed. Yes, you've got this privilege. You, you, you're, you're living in a time of prosperity. Yes. But what does that privilege, what does that blessing produce? Because when you're blessed, what that blessing ought to produce is responsibility, opportunity to care for others, to love others and to love God well, to use the blessing that you've been instructed entrusted and to steward it in such a way that you're able to impact others. But what's it producing for the people of Israel? Oh, it's just producing materialism. They just want to acquire more and get more and get more. They're only thinking about themselves. It produces this selfish materialism. See, the thing is, we're all blessed in different ways. We all have certain amounts of privilege. We see that with all the nations, right? They all had these privileges, but they're held accountable based on the privilege that they have, based on the blessing that they have. And so for the other nations, they don't have the covenant, so they're not held responsible for the covenant. But God has put certain rights and wrongs on their hearts, and they're violating that, so they're held responsible for that. The more you've been entrusted, well, the more you're responsible for. You know, we... We're blessed people. We're privileged people. You have blessing. We may have different amounts. You may have more. I have more. But how do we steward the responsibility of our blessing? Does it create a, an opportunity for us to serve and to love well? Or does it simply create this appetite for getting more and acquiring more? You know, one of the ways that we try to foster a heart and cultivate a heart that really seeks to serve and to love others with the blessing that we've been given is through projects like Central Cares, where we get out in our community and we use the resources that we have, where our time, our treasure, and our talents, just to get out and to make an impact in our city, to paint decks and to serve groceries and to write cards and to put together blessing bags, whatever it may be that we can get out and just show our city we love our city to use the blessing that we have as an opportunity to extend God's love to others. But the question is, how do you steward your blessing? How do you steward it? Does, does being blessed just cause you to want more? Or does being blessed create this responsibility, this opportunity for you to love others? Amos continues in his plain spoken language. In Amos 4 verse 1, he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria, you women who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring me, bring that we may drink. Amos, here, he calls the women of Israel fat cows. Now, this is not politically correct, okay? But the Bible often isn't. This is just a, a plain-spoken shepherd trying to get the attention of Israel. And so he's using harsh language. He's trying to wake them up, make them listen. And then he switches in chapter 4 and he uses sarcasm. Listen to Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them for you so love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. 
You hear what he's saying? <laughs> Come to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin a little more. Oh, bring your tithes, bring your offerings, bring your sacrifices. Let everybody know about it. Go ahead and publish it. Sure, you're fine. Everything's fine, Israel. God loves what you're doing. This is all good. You've really pleased him. You see, he's just dripping with sarcasm. The prophet is saying, you can't just live one way and then offer a few tithes and offerings and think you're good. But this is how Israel's living. And oftentimes, we struggle with the same thing, don't we? We can have this assessment of our lives where materially we're doing good and so we think we're good. We can point to something good that we've done and we can say, hey, I did this. This was a good thing, so I'm good. We can look to our neighbors and say, oh, well, look how they're doing. I'm not so bad. I must be good. That's what's happening in Israel. And so for Amos to come and deliver this message, it's really hard for Israel to listen because materially they're good. Oh, they offer some offering, so they're good. Oh, they look at their neighbors. Their neighbors are doing evil <laughs> compared to them. Maybe we're not so bad after all. Yeah, we're pretty good. And we can do the same thing. To get the attention of the northern kingdom Israel, God called this unlikely shepherd from Judah to come and to talk to them, to try to wake them up to a very hard truth. You know, the truth is for all of us, we need a wake-up call every once in a while so that we don't grow stagnant, so we don't stay where we are, so we don't have this false assessment of ourselves to help us to take that next step. For you, maybe your next step this morning is to simply come to a realization of some persistent sin in your life, something that you've ignored or, hey, you've kind of justified or you've convinced yourself that it's not really that bad, but to see that sin the way God sees it and then to repent and to ask for his forgiveness and to turn and to move. For others of you, you've just kind of shrunk back because maybe you're kind of like Amos and you think, you know, I'm just an ordinary, hardworking guy. I don't think that I can really have a conversation with people in my sphere. I mean, who am I that they would listen to me anyway? And your next step, well, it's to go and to be that voice for God, to be the, the light of the world that you are called to be, to sometimes press in and to have a hard conversation because you're trying to pull somebody, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member to a place where they live and they love like Jesus. Whatever your next step may be, here at Central, we'd love to come alongside you and help you take that next step. So if you want to reach out to us, maybe send us an email or something, we'll be sure to get back to you. The prophet Amos, he's trying to wake us up so that we don't live in some kind of false reality so that sometimes we can hear the hard truth and make the necessary corrections so that we live and love like Jesus. Amos isn't going to be done. And next week, we're going to look and we're going to see these visions that he has. Visions that are hard to hear and then a vision of true bliss. Hope you'll join us next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't shrink back from telling us just the way it is. That you will tell us, you'll press in, you'll use whatever means necessary to wake us up to sometimes some really hard truth. So that we can turn, we will change, we will repent so that we will live and love like Jesus. 
Help us to be the light that you've called us to be in our culture, in our day. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.